You're listening to The Report Card. And The Report Card podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs, which hosts Scott Dworkin and Grant Stern grade what they're seeing in the news each week and take your questions, too. You're listening to The Report Card, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm Scott Dworkin. And we are back for another week, another grizzly shooting ongoing right now, unfortunately. Um, the title of this episode is that we are not going to let Republicans sweep the Uvalde shooting under a rug. And the shooters are apparently not interested in letting them do that either. Right. Uh, it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. But hopefully we can try and uh, talk through it with some of our folks and also take your mind off of uh, – some of this madness that's going on in the world right now, at least for an hour, you know, on uh, this Wednesday night. And uh, I know that last week we had an intense episode. Um, so we've got a lot of wonderful guests tonight, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of friends and, and professionals that are just, are just uh, workers and they're people that, uh, you know, I'm proud to be on the show tonight. And we're going to start off in a minute here with the uh, uh, Rep. Uh, Abby Finkenauer, who's running for U.S. Senate against uh, Grassley in Iowa. Um, and I really think that's a great pickup opportunity for Democrats. How about you, Grant? Uh, I agree. I think that that race is flying under the radar. Um, then we have Brooklyn Dad. Uh, he's just awesome and, you know, joining us on, live on the show. So if you want to ask a question, like this is your big chance. Um, I mean, it's actually my big chance. I'm kind of excited. Uh, and then... Uh, right afterwards, we have uh, Dr. Eric Feigelding. Right, uh, he's then, a, a, an epidemiologist and and uh, health. It's a health economist. I believe that's the, the nutritional economist. Oh, we're gonna have to ask him when he gets on here. And uh, of course, we've got a couple of amazing activists that are joining us. Uh, Nick Knudsen, who is the head of Demcast. Uh, if you've been doing anything in Democratic politics. Over the last, say, four years, I would imagine that you probably, probably have come across Demcast. He's the executive director. And, of course, the amazing Peter Morley is going to join us with an announcement tonight. So I hope you all stay tuned, get comfortable. Uh, this is going to be a really, really, really interesting show. Uh, but before we talk about gun reform, before we talk with Rep. Uh, Finkenauer, um, I just wanted to to throw something out there for you to grade, Scott, because uh, this is like bombshell, bombshell, bombshell news, um, you know, as far as like I'm concerned, because we were two of the people who were very much behind the Trump Russia hashtag, the entire, you know, uncovering of all these links and all these business ties. Um, there was a prosecution. A, spe the, a special prosecutor, actually, that Bill Barr appointed uh, named John Durham. And John Durham took his only case to trial after three years and about $20 million against one of Hillary Clinton's lawyers. And this was the big case. This was the big how to prove a conspiracy case. Uh, Scott, Michael Sussman was acquitted. How would you grade John Durham? No, it will F for failure. I'm not even going to play around with a grade tonight, but uh, I'll just say that it's just, it's, it's, it's just showing, showing the true colors because they got nothing. And, uh, you know, if they, if they really had anything, then it'd be, uh, you and I out there, you know what I mean? Cause you and I were talking about this, but it wasn't about collusion. It wasn't, a, it was about his Russian business ties. And I keep on bringing it back to that with this, if you report something, the FBI this was a scare tactic to show other people that if you report something to the FBI, you can be, you know, indicted for it. And, and if you lie about it, because you don't know if you're lying about something, if you're telling the FBI, hey, this might be the case. You have no idea. If there's a crime to be reported, then report it to the FBI if it's a, the right law enforcement agency. And you can't be shying away from that. And I think that that was a key here, and that really was a, a tragedy here. Yeah, I think that was – a big mistake. I mean, it just from early on, it was such a complicated uh, allegation, you know, like normally a lie to the FBI case is about, you know, three or four pages of, well, 
you know, he said this, he said this, this is what really happened. Um, you know, they're all pretty straightforward. Um, when Michael Flynn was indicted for lying to the FBI, uh, it was pretty straightforward. You know, they asked him, were you in contact with the Russian ambassador? He said, no, you know, right. Did you discuss X with the Russian ambassador? He said no. They knew – And they asked him over and over again, and they knew – of course, the FBI, they knew ahead of time that that was untrue. That was a lie. You know what I mean? They, they only ask questions most, most of the time that they know the answers to, and of course he lied about it. But he lied you know, in writing. He lied about that in-person interview. He lied about that over and over again. So it's not just one time, you know, and that's – I think we need to make clear as well. He's lied well, over I, and over, and it's not the only lie he told. You know. Well, what I think was so terrible about it is that here's a prosecution that tries to erase another successful prosecution. Right. You know, right? And and it just failed so, so, so miserably. So I give Bull Durham an L for taking the loss. Right. Uh, but let's let's start bringing on some of our amazing guests tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get rolling. I think uh, first up is uh, Rep. Abby Finkenauer, who is running against Grassley in the great state of Iowa. Grant yeah, setting up the. He's got. Yeah, a, we're, we're the bringing her on the stage. Grant is the engineer, <laughs> the audio producer, the everything in the buttons, and uh, he handles all of these little. Uh, I just sit here in front of a microphone because <laughs> anything more confusing than that would just be a travesty. Uh, Rep Fingenauer, how are you this evening? Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Scott. Hi, Grant. No, happy to be here. And thanks for everything, obviously, that you guys do. <laughs> um, it's a hell of a time right now. And just thank you for having me. Well, how are things going on uh, in Iowa right now? And of course, uh, on top of that, I'll give you a Short question of why did you decide to run for the Senate against Grassley? Oh, so many reasons. And I have to say literally every single week that I am in this race, there is another reason why we have to win. Um, one thing I just want to say at the top here, especially with the news coming out of Tulsa and obviously last week with Texas and 19 kids being shot and killed in a public school in America in 2022, um, that I am obviously heartbroken. And, um, you know, obviously I know all of our hearts are with all of these families, but I also just want to say I'm pissed off. I am pissed off that this is still happening in this country. I mean, I was 10 years old when Columbine happened, 10 years old. And since then, I mean, I went off to junior high, I went off to high school, I went off to college, I became a state rep, I became a congresswoman. And it literally was two decades after Columbine where I was a congresswoman voting to pass H.R. 8, the background check bill, right, closing the loopholes, red flag laws out of the U.S. House. And Senator Grassley, who had already been in D.C. for 23 years when Columbine happened and sat there for another 23, 24 more um, was literally the guy, literally the guy in the United States Senate holding up that bill. And it's, it's just, crazy, it's horrifying that this is happening. It is, it is frustrating that we've got these people who are such cowards in public office right now who can't do anything and refuse, or they can do something, but they refuse to. And honestly, it's why we have to win. Um, and it's honestly why we will. Um, you know, truly the reason I got into this race, a big part of it was because of January 6th. And when I watched as my friends and my former colleagues of, you know, three days earlier were being attacked by a violent mob, it was two months later where I saw Senator Grassley push out conspiracies about Arizona. And it was in that moment that I knew that that man did not deserve to be reelected to the United States Senate and I was going to beat him. So here we now, are. How do you win in, in Iowa? I mean, I know I'm not going to get a big head for you or anything like that, but I'll say <laughs> there's 99 counties over there in Iowa. And I, yeah. it reminds me of how you're traveling around the state of President Obama, how he did so in the 07 into 08. And uh, is that kind of your strategy that you stay local and you focus on the state itself and stay in the state? Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, how we flipped a seat in 2018 was so much of that, of just being in front of folks and making sure that they knew me and heard me face to face, right? Whether it was the parades, whether it was 
you know, town halls, just getting in front of folks and making sure that we could fight back on the misinformation piece, right? Because they're going to lie, they're going to say whatever they want to say, but it's a lot harder to do when people know you and they know your values and they know why you're in it. And so that's the type of work, honestly, that we didn't get to do in 2020. And it's what we're doing um, all over the state in 2022. Um, We're making sure that people know who I am, where I come from, the fact that I was a daughter of a union pipe fitter welder and a public school secretary. I'm a first generation college grad that grew up in a town with literally more cows than people. (laughs) And uh, I have watched as Senator Grassley has left us behind. I mean, he's been in D.C. for 47 years, bought a house there when I was five years old. Um, We've watched as our smaller towns have gotten smaller, as my own friends had started to leave. They started going to Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver for different opportunities. And we have seen, again, as our town or as our town, as our state continued to shrink here. And he has sat there and has done nothing about it. In fact, he's been part of the problem. And that's what we are, again, again, going to make sure that Iowans know. And right now, truly, it's an opportunity we haven't had here in a generation. His approvals are incredibly low. They're all right now in the low 40s. Um, We saw a poll last year where only 27% of Iowans want to vote to reelect him. 27%. That is it. And so we have an opportunity here to do this and to do it right. And I think, you know, I heard you at the top here that this is a race that's being overlooked and you're 100% right. This race is winnable because it is Senator Grassley and because it is me. The contrast between the two of us is just so stark, not just because I'm 33 years old and I'd be the youngest woman ever elected to the U.S. Senate taking, you know, out of God who is literally the oldest man right now in the U.S. Senate. Um, But it's also about the fact that I have a voting record in that U.S. House, things like lowering prescription drugs, things like investments in infrastructure, things like investments in child care, you name it. And Senator Grassley has sat over in that United States Senate and he has stopped all of it. So Iowa swung from voting for President Obama to eventually Mm -hmm. voting for President Trump. And then in 2018, uh, voting for four-fifths Democrats, right? <laughs> um, three-fourths. Uh, three-fourths. Yep. I'm sorry, yep. three-fourths. Yep. Um, what's going on in Iowa, and, and what is it that appeals to Iowa voters about flipping from party to party so much? <laughs> you uh, know, but never in the Senate lately. In the Senate, it's been very steady with Chuck Grassley, and and of course, Joni Ernst won re-election in the last cycle as well. You know, it's interesting. I think it really does depend on the cycle. And I think Iowans want to be moved, right? And um, in particular, too, I'll say this about 2020. It was tough. Democrats didn't get out there and talk to people anymore. We didn't knock on doors. We didn't have those real conversations that needed to be had face to face because we didn't obviously know what was safe or what we should be doing. And In the meantime, the misinformation on things like Facebook, for example, I mean, 74% of Iowa voters are on Facebook. And when misinformation spreads and you're not pushing back on it in any real way, what did we expect to happen? And so that's something that we're building out really differently here and very, as I like to describe it, Obama House Party style model, precinct captain style that was on the ground, but bringing that into the digital space and making sure that folks are hearing the information from their friends, from their family, because that honestly, no one even knows what to believe anymore because they're getting information from so many different places, whether it's on social media or whether it's on their TV with, a, you know, ads here or an attack ad there, or whatever it is, we have to build out these campaigns differently. And so that's something that I'm committed to doing um, and making sure that we can do that piece right. I'll also say in 18 and in 2020, every single time I've been on the ballot, we have overperformed the top of ticket. And so we are a Democrat talking to voters here who Democrats in this state and honestly across the country have struggled to talk to. It is, again, the folks like my dad gets coffee with on Monday morning who busted their tails their entire lives for their families. And they watched as politicians in D.C. and also in Des Moines here in Iowa have left them behind and honestly just gone out of their way to make their lives harder. And that's what we speak to. That's what we talk about. And I'm tired of the bull that we've seen again in our politics here in Iowa, but also in D.C. And Chuck Grassley quite literally is the epitome of that. And so that, again, is how we win this thing. And it's why we need people with us. I mean, if you are listening, I mean, my, my website's abbyfinkenhour.com. You can find out a lot of information, but we also need your support. 
Um, we need to make sure we have everything we can here to tell people again who exactly I am and who Chuck Grassley has become. And I just want to read a comment from Peter Morley's in the audience. He said, you're a big advocate for healthcare, and he so appreciates you. Oh, yes. No, it was so great getting to meet him um, during my time uh, in Congress. And I'll say, you know, that's another reason why I'm in this. Um, since Senator Grassley's last election, the man has voted 12 times to try to take away your health care if you have a pre-existing condition and who the heck doesn't right now. Um, and he would do it again, regardless of what he says in an election year. At the same time, also, we passed that bill, prescription drug reform, where we'd have Medicare negotiate with drug companies to bring down those prices, not just for our seniors, but for every American. And Senator Grassley literally is the guy who sat over there in the Senate, wrote the bill, making it so Medicare couldn't negotiate with drug, with drug companies. I mean, and at the same time, has taken over a million dollars from the pharmaceutical industry since the man's been in office. And so, again, there are so many reasons here. If we have the resources to get out there, to be able to tell that story to Iowans, we win this thing and we do something special here. Um, I feel it in my bones in the same way that I did in 2018, um, that when we can get out there, when we can do that work, um, we can show not just Iowans, but the entire country about, you know, who we are and are we people who step up for our neighbors or are we not? And that was the lesson and what we really pushed in 18. And I think we'll, we'll be able to do it again here in 2020 or in 2022. You got this fellow uh, Midwesterner fired up, Abby. And uh, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I was born and raised in Ohio. Uh, you know, I, I apologize for being a Buckeyes fan, but I, I will say, um, you know, again, <laughs> just just give give money, uh, volunteer your time, try and do everything you can for Abby's campaign. Um, and just specifically as we end here, uh, Rep. Fingenauer, Abby, uh, how do, can people support your campaign? Where can people go to support your campaign? Yes. So AbbyFinkenauer.com. Abby's just A-B-B-Y and Finkenauer is F as in Frank, I-N-K-E-N-A-U-E-R. Um, it's a long one. Um, thankfully, my parents gave me a short first name. Um, and, I'm glad you're not running uh, as a write-in. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started. But uh, But anyway, no. We are, um, you know, we're really excited and again, just need the support. So please, um, there's ways to donate there, ways to, again, see what I stand for and also the difference we would make in the United States Senate. And, you know, the last thing I'd like to say is this representation matters. Who we have standing on that floor in the United States Senate in 2023 is going to matter a hell of a lot, especially also when it comes to protecting um, women in our health care. Um, when we've got a Supreme Court who we know um, the official you know, decision will be dropping, I imagine any day now, um, the draft already did. Um, I have already had to dis defend my rights as a woman three times on the Iowa State House floor, and I'm prepared to do it again on the floor of the United States Senate, considering we have very few women, if uh, any, besides Kirsten Cinema, who I don't count for much of anything right now, um, of childbearing age who would actually have a voice when it comes to getting rid of the filibuster and codifying Roe. Um, it is what we need to do. And again, who we have standing there advocating for it is going to matter a hell of a lot. So again, there's a, many reasons why we have to win this one. And that's another one. Well, uh, Rep. Finkenauer, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And have a good rest of the evening. We will, and please we will, stick will. around. Yeah, Thank you. please do stick around. We're, yeah. we're we very, will be, very excited uh, to have you here. We will be tweeting just at anybody. You don't have to write it down right now, but you should. Um, but if you didn't, we'll be tweeting about this after the show, and we'll also be sharing on Facebook and Instagram and yada, 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 all the social networks and whatnot so that you can support her campaign and do everything you can to help make her the next senator in the great state of Iowa. And I think we have our next guest. Are we going to bring everybody up to the stage and get all funky and just have like, like everybody <laughs> here? Or do we want to just stick with Dr. Feigelding? Cause you no, know, bring Peter uh, and Brooklyn dad up. Come on. More than Mary and Nick. <laughs> okay. Well, I think, I think, I, I don't know if we're ready for that big a party yet. Okay. But, <laughs> but I, I think that, that we should bring Brooklyn dad up to the stage too. Come on up Brooklyn dad. Oh, yeah. The party has begun. And guys, start thinking of your questions because we're going to start taking call-ins in a few minutes. And it's going to get really fierce. Uh, I could tell, especially with these two guys. So um, 
Scott, I know that you wanted to to ask something to Dr. Feigelding, very specific, because uh, you kind of know what it's like to be like the lone guy out there shouting into the wind <laughs> that something maybe is not a little kosher. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, I remember when I first, it was you and I, we, we started reporting on COVID and I, the White House said something along the lines of, well, it's not – we said that's the first American who died, and we were very careful about how we said it. We were very careful about how we said it because it was not a person that was in America, but it was an American who died of COVID. And they said, well, that's not – you know, that's not why – that's, you know, cruise ship, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was the, one, of the, one of the things that I saw from Dr. Ding was the truth, and it was alarms going off, and there were literal, like, red sirens going off in his account – and it, you know, I was like, what in the world? Like this professional, this doctor, this person speaking truth to power. It just was uh, absolutely amazing to see, especially against all the the wind, because you know we we've sat on that island before with Russia, with his mob ties, with everything else that we had investigated with them, and it just was so enlightening and, and powerful to see, um, you know, Dr. Ding out there. Obviously, Brooklyn Dad has done the same. Uh, thing in regards to activism, but Dr. Ding, as as, as a doctor, I appreciate you. I remember when COVID first started, you were one of the few ringing the alarm bells. Uh, what in the world made you step up and sound the alarm? I mean, it, it, I, I assume there's a responsibility there, but like, what was it that made you, you know, I am going to tell the truth. I, I don't care about what they're going to put up against me. Like, what was it that drove you into really sounding the alarm on COVID? Um, yeah, thanks for having me. And God, man, this past two years have been so long and it's still, it's still going, I guess. No, I think in certain ways, um, you know how, you know, I wasn't chasing, uh, an academia career. I wasn't trying to kiss anyone's, uh, rear for promotions or anything like that. And, and I saw a lot of academics, they were like silently worried as hell. Like they were sweating, pretty and pretty bad but no one wanted to say it no one wants to shout it it's 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 kind of like the emperor's new clothes right it, it took it took a kid with nothing to lose to shout you know the emperor is not wearing clothes in certain ways um yeah, covid it was really bad and we we saw it was bad and and um who um had just declined to declare a public health emergency or national concern so i was like you know what? I have nothing to lose here. I'm going to go for it. I'm an epidemiologist. It's my social professional responsibility. And um, I went for it. And of course, you know, a lot of haters, you know, the backlash initially was pretty bad, but, but uh, I think, you know, forewarned is forearmed. And, and, you know, with all your Russia, you know, reporting how Trump was compromised and whatnot, that you know, early on, people didn't believe you either. But it was if it's a global concern to the world and national security concern, I think there is a duty to warn. If you see smoke, you need to call it out. Well, you know, it's it was fortunate in your case that it only took a couple of months uh, to be proven right. <laughs> uh, we're still seeing indictments land from reporting from years ago about uh, all of these wonderful Russian folks who came to America. Um, so I wanted to ask you about something that Dr. Fauci said, and I mean, before I go there, I just want to point out a tweet that I posted, uh, I guess it was, uh, yesterday, whereas like, you know, how it's, how it started and how it's going. And when they, when that court, when that Florida federal judge, one federal judge dropped the mask mandate on transport, um, yeah. I just tweeted like, you know, wait until the flight cancellations start. And you yep. just tweeted like this week, oh, flight cancellations, wait, what, what, a thousand? Like they're just preemptively yeah. canceling the flights now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember last month in April when, you know, when the mask transit mandate was was hauled off because of that court ruling, which, by the way, is ridiculous. Think about it. one district court judge basically overrules the entire country. And um, we barely got a whimper from from this from the CDC or any outrage. Uh, and their only defense was, oh, you know, oh, just to protect future CDC rights, blah, 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 blah. It was it was horrible. And and we both uh, said, you know, 
uh, there's going to be cancellations. Like we saw it. The thing is that we've seen this train wreck before. The same thing happened in April in with British Airways cancellations in Heathrow with when people got uh, sick. And UK was always a month ahead of us. And we, you know, it was one of those things where you're shouting into the wind, but, uh, you know, the powers that be just don't care or, or care to listen. And especially Delta, when they themselves, I call out Delta a lot because they themselves you know, petitioned and lobbied the CDC to drop isolation to five days with no exit testing whatsoever. And I know epidemiologists were angry at Walensky about that and actually told her before she even um, did it, you know, don't do it. This is crazy. And Walensky said, okay, I'll take your opinion into consideration. And clearly she didn't. So it was, it was a lot of, you know, horrible decision-making and, you know, they knew better and Delta pushed for it. And, you know, you, you reap what you sow, I guess. But, but Here it it's is. us, the public, All the, who the suffer. cancellations, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's bad for people that are immunocompromised that want to travel. Um, you know, of course, children under the age of five who can't get vaccines yet. Um, right. But I wanted to ask you about Dr. Fauci in particular when he said, well, the pandemic phase is over. He didn't say uh, COVID is endemic. He didn't make that statement. But is that what Dr. Fauci was effectively saying? Yeah, um, Fauci's been a little bit downplaying uh, lately, but I, I, I'm not really sure. I can't really read his mind. But you know, he had to. I remember last month he had to walk back a few things. Um, he 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 said, "Oh, you know, the pandemic isn't over, yeah, right? You know, it's still bad." Blah 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 blah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he I, said that it's no, the pandemic is not over, but the pandemic phase in America was over. That was the yeah. This is like a double. Parsed. It's a weird double speak, right? Like yeah, very it, parsed, you know, to yeah. the lay public, it's confusing as hell. Like, why would you use such? I don't even know exactly what that jargon uh, means. The pandemic. Well, I'm pretty making sure, me feel better here. I figured that he just meant. It's endemic now because yeah. Well, endemic doesn't 60%. actually mean a, a, any uh, a good status. Like it's HIV is right. endemic in parts of Africa, and you know, twenty five to fifty percent of people have HIV. That's endemic too. That's and that's an insane uh, status, and we don't want that for any disease like COVID, especially with ten to thirty percent of people suffering long COVID, and the more times you get infected, you know, three x infections a year potentially per person. You know, you're just playing Russian roulette three times uh, with with three different trigger pulls. That's really, really bad idea. But uh, I think in certain ways, you know, they feel like like if you're boosted, great. But how how much of America's boosted? Not that many of people are boosted. You know, our kids, not that many are even two shot vaccinated among five to eleven year olds. Like less than thirty percent after six months. Only less than thirty percent are even two shot vaccinated. And we're not even talking about you know, kids under five. And, you know, this has you know, gotten actually much more deadlier for kids as the pandemic has worn on. So this is not over and we're endangering kids and kids, yes, are lower risk than seniors, but, you know, kids shouldn't die. Kids shouldn't die, period. Kids shouldn't go to the hospital. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's a really huge, irresponsible abdication of public health because, you know, we, do we say for bicycles, oh, you know what? Hospitals are empty. You know what? You don't have to wear bike helmets today. Oh, you know what? Hospitals are empty. You don't need to um, buckle your seatbelt today. Hospitals are empty. Drunk driving is okay today because hospitals are empty. <laughs> no, no one says that. It's called prevention and CDC. It's in their names, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. But somehow we adopted that. Oh, hospitals are empty. We can be pretty, you know, lazy, fair, and you know, and public endangering and forget public health prevention. And I don't, I don't know how we got to this dystopia, but here we are. When well, I didn't I keep read... my hands up, when I didn't keep my hands up, and boxing, my trainer would be like, uh, "You know, you're keeping yourself open." And he hit me right in the face, like he hit me every single time that I did that. And I think Fauci let himself uh, be open to those kind of attacks where they could spin his words, and he wasn't doing that as much before. But he was, he was more strategic before, and I think he was trying to be much nicer and congenial, and that's just not going to work. He's got to be strategic and know every word is going to be spun in this, you know, this web of lies that's out there. Yeah. I think that you can't be open with it, and you're just going to get you know, hit in the face. Yeah, I wanted to read Susan Perry's comment. 
uh, which, which is, it's horrible. Having a son with cystic fibrosis and myself having cancer, no way would I fly in a capsule full of germs. They have not told people about the superbugs-resistant antibiotics. Wait until that hits people. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there is a lot of bad stuff out there. But um, Yeah, I always like to remind COVID, people on airplanes, for example, years ago, remember 30 years ago, we used to be able to smoke on airplanes. Remember those days? You have the ashtrays no. on your you know, armrests and everything. Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. But, but the, the issue was like they stopped I remember it. the ashtrays. That I remember. They were yeah, but they stopped the smoking on airplanes because they realized there's no such thing as a smoke-free section of the airplane, even with its HEPA filters and air running, right? And just sure. like you know, there's no such thing as pee-free part of the pool if you pee in the corner of the pool. <laughs> it's true. And, 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 you know, we don't allow it in bars, restaurants, or smoking on airplanes uh, because of secondhand smoke dangers to other passengers and flight attendants. Why do we have secondhand airborne transmission? And we know one-way masking, even where if you wear an N95, is not as good as two-way masking. Um, it's exponentially, uh, you know, less effective but yet here we are it's and i think delta and all these other airlines they don't see that actually if they put they if you actually created a flight that's a mass required flight i bet they could actually get a lot of customers who would want to fly on those mass required flights you know um but somehow they're not seeing the 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 long-term benefits of if, if they actually had mass flights you could actually have more customers so I don't know what the hell's wrong with these airlines right now. They're so nearsighted, and so is our CDC with their community levels, you know, gaslighting of, oh, hey, you know, hospitals are not full. The map is green. Everything's hunky-dory. And uh, and then Ashish Shah, meanwhile, trying to say, oh, maybe you should wear masks again. But nope, too late. The cat's out of the bag. People aren't going to do it again. Right on. No, and we we definitely, you know, obviously a lot of this speaking out against the lies and the nonsense. One of our good friends who was out there on that island with us is Mr. He goes by Brooklyn Dad on the Twitterverse. Uh, it's a live show. Uh, Majid, uh, if you can get your your speaker together, we'd love to hear from you here. Uh, we really can't hear you, Majid. Oh, maybe. Let's take a call in. I see... I see Peter Morley wants to call in, and let's take some call-ins from the crowd right now. Who else wants to call in right now? Everybody's been waiting very patiently. If you have questions for, for Dr. Ding or for us, something you want to comment, concern, uh, call right in. Let me take the next caller, which is Peter Morley. Peter, thanks yeah. for joining us tonight. He's got a special announcement for us. Mr. Peter Morley, uh, are you there, sir? I finally learned how to unmute myself. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I've been on every I'm one very of your proud shows. Of you. Uh, and I just it's wanted to say, but thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> so I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I co-founded Healthcare Awareness Month with Rachel Brody. And we are having a, and this is like, not in response to the recent events, but we had been planning this for about two months a um, gun violence pre prevention panel tomorrow, uh, uh, June 2nd at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And everyone's welcome. And uh, Grant, I hope that you're able to put the, <clears throat> excuse me, the link to our Zoom in your, uh, in the chat, because this, this, uh, this uh, person, me, being me, doesn't know how to do that while I'm speaking. Um, but I just wanted to, uh, to, it's a very exciting panel. Um, we have Fred Guttenberg, uh, Joe Sacron, who I know was, was on your last show, um, uh, Paul Murray of, of Newtown Action Alliance, uh, Leuven Gretchen Shirley, who ran for Congress, and, and another a congressional candidate from South Carolina, uh, Dr. Annie Andrews, who this is a big issue for and, you know, gun violence is so prevalent in our society today. I mean, I don't even know how to explain this. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's just so many things between the, the you know, uh, the, uh, if you survive it, um, PTSD, I mean, just, just so many, I mean, the, the, the millions and millions and millions of, of, of dollars that, that it costs. And that's what, that's what's so irate 
um, when these uh, now GOP senators are blocking these these gun safety common sense uh, bills that are coming across their desk, like last week, it's like all like we always talk about you know in healthcare, and I'm a, a patient advocate, as you know. We're always talking about you know, preventative costs. And, you know, you're talking about like millions and millions and millions. I'm sure it's going, it's gone to the billions of dollars at this point. And it's, 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 I, I just don't know how much blood on their hands that these, uh, these GOP people need to have before, before we do something about it. But, but we at Healthcare Awareness Month at and Vote Mama uh, US, which is which is Gretchen's organization, she 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 had some you know issues being a mother and uh, a, a candidate for Congress. She she formed this wonderful organization to help mothers run for who are running for Congress, uh, and it's it's just a wonderful partnership. And I'm I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to talk about it here tonight. Dr. Joseph Sacron, and pretty amazing events about healthcare, um, you know, because he's just such an incredible advocate on the issue. Uh, but I'd like to see Majid, my friend. Majid, what we're going to do is we're going to do a test run. We're going to bring you back on the next show. How's that sound? We're going to do a test run between now and then. Okay, sounds well, like a plan. Okay, yeah. And despite that, let me just say something about Brooklyn Dad before we go. He is one of the biggest activists and political influencers in the country, works with Really American, has uh, been one of my biggest allies in the fight against Trump, and has been one of the biggest allies against QAnon and everything else, has been one of the biggest loudmouths with me, um, and, and just as a badass. And I'm proud to be able to work with him for the last few years. And uh, it, it really is. He's an inspiration to me. He makes me work harder. Um, you know, he's a muse of sorts of mine. Uh, you know, he, he is a person who inspires me to do harder work. And so I, I'm, I'm sad that we couldn't get him uh, on the show tonight, but I'm sure that we will figure it out and we will bring him back for the next round. But because he, he's a must listen, we'll make sure to send out his YouTube show link here uh, and share that with everybody. You must check it out. It's a great show that he has. Um, and so, you know, Brooklyn Dad will be back on this and this is a live show this is what grant talks about every week you know it's a live show this is what happens oh and also brooklyn dad has the second best beard in all of social media it's oh, amazing who has the first best uh, who's, who's can't say <laughs> as he strokes his beard <laughs> and he's like, you know i have sort of a beard uh, i don't know is it the same beard it's too trim i guess it used to be remember when it was like fighting no, bears i'm sorry you said i was fighting no, bears no, oh no, come no. on oh, okay, it was that's DiCaprio. True. okay that's true that's true you did you did have the bear beard for a while you're right you're right oh my gosh yeah and then you're like that's dude true. you needed to trim that, that beard. that was the trump like, russia cave beard i think <laughs> yeah, that was. We, we, well, you know, it was dark and it was Christmas. Hey, guys, beards don't make a man. Okay, I'm just going to interject here. <laughs> In November is cool. Outside of November, it's not. Speaking as an Asian guy, you can't <laughs> grow a beard. So, you know, personal de- declaration of conflict there. But it doesn't make the man, okay? Okay, you say so. You say so, Sam Doc. Jones, our producer, would say the same thing. So would uh, many people in our life. But, you know, Mr. Nick Knutson, who's uh, coming up next, um, whenever you got to uh, – Nick, just hit the call-in button, and then we'll promote you to the – yeah, there you are. He, he's in the feed now. And uh, Nick Knutson probably has some comments about uh, having a beard, you know, as uh, uh, one of one of the people who does sport a beard. Uh, but in the Pacific Northwest, as we may or may not know. So, um, Mr. Nick Knutson, thank you for. And by the way, is that how we pronounce his last? Is that how we pronounce your name, Nick? I always say that, and I realize I've never ever asked you if that's how you pronounce your last name, or if I've been butchering it for years. <laughs> yeah, you 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 nailed it. Oh, nailed boom! It. Yeah, and nailed it on beards too. Anyway, yeah, but oh, yeah. uh, well, for sure. <laughs> So, so, you know uh, what? The the only reason that I have a beard is because I absolutely hate shaving. I hate it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Good point. That's why. That's why. That's exactly it why. Has this has become do with manliness. It's it, it's actually more about laziness and just like I hate razors. They just yeah. I, it's not comfortable. Nail on the head for me. 
That's the yeah. same exact thing. And, and you know, you, you got to go to whatever congressional hearing or you uh, have to attend whatever con- – now it's virtual for all of us, but you have to attend a conference or something like that. It's tough to do a clean shave. I'm just saying. Um, I know that this is not a show about shaving, but I'm right there as an advocate. Uh, <laughs> well, Nick, Nick Knutes, why, why did you um, – you know, what what are the origins of Demcast, which is the organization that you run as executive director right now? How, how did it start? Uh, it started, be, uh, I well, you know, my career arc went from being a meteorology major in college to uh, going into um, education and workforce development. And then so you can see you can see the you can see the direct line here. Um, no, it. it <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, after after Trump got elected, I I said I needed to do something. I became a, a digital activist and and met you met you fine fellows uh, during that uh, initial 2018 midterm run. And uh, you know, I just it, it, myself and and my co-founder Lori Coleman. You know, we just we found that there was a huge piece missing in the in the digital landscape, um, which was. Um, that, that we have great influencer level people like 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 you guys like Brooklyn Dad um, and and many many others, um, uh, but th- there wasn't anybody stepping in to help, you know, just kind of regular folks with social media accounts use those accounts strategically. Um, right. And there, yes, it's important to have loud and big voices, but uh, a lot of the persuasion and a lot of the amplification that happens happens in the comments sections. And it's just regular folks who are who are, um, you know, relaying messaging on a daily basis. Um, but nobody was nobody was prepping those people or giving them talking points or anything like that. So the, the idea of Demcast is just to help regular people use their social media accounts strategically. And uh, that's what we've, we've been doing since 2019. You know, it, it's a new form of digital organizing, and and I would mention that people like Scott, myself, Brooklyn Dad, uh, we we didn't like grow huge followings, with, just like on our own. I mean, we had pretty small followings back then, and as groups like Demcast grew, like our followings grew, and you know that that really made a difference in getting out whatever message that we're looking to get out or. You know, getting the news out when Occupy Democrats is is publishing it. So for that, we we definitely thank you guys. And you know, there's so much love for for all the folks in Demcast. I mean, it's like you said, like it's just ordinary folks that that want to be informed. So uh, what what are you guys planning for the the 2022 midterm elections with Demcast? Yeah, so we just launched uh, our midterm campaign. Uh, it's called Mobilize for Midterms. Uh, you can go to demcast.com slash midterms and sign up if you're if you're so inclined. <clears throat> uh, we're we're organizing people into three different groups of advocacy, uh, digital advocacy around midterms. One is um, around the Senate. Uh, the the second is around the House, keeping the House, and the third is around uh, we call it protect democracy, but it's effectively making sure that. Uh, governors and secretaries of states and in particularly in states where state legislatures may try to, you know, um, coup in 2024, um, make sure that, uh, that we retain or, or win seats in those important states. So, so were you surprised by what happened in Georgia, uh, last week with the primaries? No, <laughs> no. Tell me no. why. I was worried um, about Brad Raffsenberger in particular. Oh yes, okay for the Secretary of State race, yes, not for the not for Kemp and Purdue. Purdue is such a terrible candidate. I, uh, I, I wasn't super concerned about that one. I mean, it's not like Kemp is great, right? <laughs> but, but just <laughs> I mean, we're we're saying all things being relative, I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's he's not he's he's just a, he's a quiet Trumper, not a loud Trumper. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I was a little surprised with Raffensperger, and I think that's you know it's a good sign that um, that there are still some people who have um, some rationality, um, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens. The the um, I think the the Democratic uh, uh, candidate candidates went to a runoff, so we'll see we'll see who our um, Secretary of State nominee is a little a little down the road. I think in June at the toward the end of June. 
um, you know, obviously that's the preferred outcome. Um, but, but, ha- you know, as a safeguard, having a guy in there who, uh, refused to overturn the election is a good thing. I think that's a good start, uh, for any election. Um, so what, what key races are you guys targeting in 2022 at Demcast? Yeah. Do you have a top three yet? Uh, well, so on our in terms of our categories um, for the Senate, we're re- we're really trying to focus on toss up races. So in 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 our twenty twenty in our twenty twenty program, you know, we did a little bit of an autopsy after that. You know, even though even though Biden won, uh, and we did manage to get the Senate. Um, Outside of those, it, it wasn't a great year for Democrats, actually. And that was when we had the wind at our back. Um, and there were some races like, um, uh, I think it was, was it Rita Hart in Iowa who lost by like six votes, you know, um, and, and, and wasn't necessarily getting a lot of digital support online. Um, and, and we, and we had targeted some, some different races, some maybe more long shot races, um, last cycle. So, so we're really trying to stick close to, um, real, real toss up races, the ones that are really going to determine the balance of power in the, in the Senate and the house, um, and in the States. So, so for the Senate, uh, those races are basically, um, you know, on the on the incumbents protecting incumbent side, it's Mark Kelly, Raphael Warnock, and Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. And then on the flip side, it's um, you know Pennsylvania uh, with Fetterman, and North Carolina with Sherry Beasley, and um, and uh, whoever the victor is in Wisconsin. Um, you know, I think Tim Ryan's in that in that realm too. He has a unique kind of shot to make a make a dent in in ohio um so we're keeping an eye on that one um and then on the uh protect democracy side there's some really important races gretchen whitmer in in uh in michigan along with uh, jocelyn benson the secretary of state and uh, dana nessel who's the attorney general um got tony evers in wisconsin very very important that he retain the governorship in Wisconsin. Uh, the Arizona governorship is really important. We'll see who the nominee is down the road. So th- there, there's some really important races on that side. And then in the house, it's, you know, we're going to be probably looking at about 20 to 25 races that are, that are going to be right there at the, at, you know, where there's a one or 2% difference, um, between, <clears throat> between winning and losing. And, um, uh, you know, because of the redistricting and, and, um, you know, the sort of weird year at the beginning of the decade here, um, we're still coming up with our house list, but we'll have it in the next, uh, we'll have the, at least, at least for the, for the maps that are settled and for the primaries that are done, we'll have our list, um, within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Isn't that wild how all the maps are still in total flux and here we are like right before the election? Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, and, you know, I, I knew that was how it went. um, But I wasn't really, I wasn't this active in politics during the last, um, you know, redistricting uh, at the beginning of the 2010s. So um, this is my first experience sort of witnessing the the craziness. And and it's even crazier because of all the lawsuits and, and, uh, and, and, and all that that's going on with the with the maps. So um, yeah, I mean, there, there are some States that are settled, but there, it's going to take a while for some of the other ones. And, um, and, and even for the States that are settled because the districts are new, you know, there's, there are some pretty different takes on whether districts are toss up or liens or, or likelies, depending on which, depending on if you're looking at cook or, or, uh, Sabato or, or, or any of these sort of election prognosticators. So it's, it's a really interesting, but, <laughs> but kind of problematic uh, situation if you're trying to really n- nail down who your, who your targets are. So, I mean, tell me if you agree with me on this, because in the last, I want to say six weeks, I feel like there have been three and 
entirely different lenses on what this election is going to look like. And what I mean by that is that economic issues were so predominant six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the Supreme Court decision leaks and that just erupted all over the tw- the political universe. And now in the last two weeks, uh, there have been two gut-wrenching, horrific mass shootings. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden it's like whether it's women's rights, gun rights, or just economic issues. What do you think is going to be the prevailing political issue, if, in your opinion, mm-hmm. for the, the 2022 election? You also mentioned protecting democracy. There's so many others. Right. But, but right. of those three or four, is there one that you foresee personally as being the paramount one in the same way that like in 2018 – Healthcare was the number one issue right. for the election. Right. Yeah, you know, my my gut says it's always going to come down to the economy and how people feel about the economy and their financial situation uh, because that's just history. That's just that's just how it's always been. My, um, you know, I, I'm I have a really strong, I guess, hope that um, once once the final Supreme Court decision comes down on Roe, um, that women are going to win this in in November. Um, and women and in the, their allies, obviously. Like they, they're going to march out and win the election, you're saying, yeah. not the, the Supreme Court yes. decision. Yeah, yeah, no, the Supreme Court decision is not going to be good. <laughs> I think we, we, we already... We already know that, and it's a it's uh, you know it's a huge infringement on on liberty. And um, we saw what women did after Trump got elected, and in 2018, uh, or, or particularly around healthcare. And um, and this is a healthcare issue. This is a very personal issue about people's bodies. And um, you know, obviously, none of us would hope that the Supreme court would come to the decision that they're clearly going to come to. Um, but I, I do, I do have a lot of hope and faith in, in, in women that, that they're going to help drive, um, a huge electoral victory in, in fall. Um, I don't think that the economy, there's so much structurally wrong with the economy in terms of economic inequality that that's, that's going to be a hard one to fix <laughs> by, by November uh, and, and get people to really feel, feel great about it. Um, especially with gas prices and all, all this, you know, the corporate manipulation of prices and price gouging and all this kind of stuff. So um, we have to message on that, but I think in terms of just pure turnout, um, I think that uh, I, I, I think that row is going to be really important and, and might be the, might be the, game changer in terms of, you know, flipping the script on what a, what a midterm election after a, uh, you know, after a presidential win looks like. So I, I could talk about this all night, but I want to hear if there's any call-ins from the crowd. Is there anybody that wants to ask a question to myself, to Nick, to Scott, make a comment? Uh, this is your chance. Mash that little button in the bottom right corner of the screen. that looks like a telephone and we'll bring you up. All you have to do is hit unmute. And we want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, if you need a minute to think about it, take one minute. But think fast because we're going to wrap up in about five minutes. And we do want to hear from you guys. And we really appreciate the questions in the comments as well. Um, someone asked if Uvalde is a, a Democratic or Republican district. Um, you know, it's... It's been Republican. I think that Will Hurd represented that district up until the end of 2020, right? Yeah, it right, leans Scott? conservative. It leans conservative, but it votes heavy Republican about 60-40 there. Yeah. But it, it, it turnout and, and efforts have been high for Democrats there for a while. Yeah, like like the district that's further to the north wasn't that Beto's district? Um, uh, like the, I don't remember. There's been so much redistricting. I, I used to yeah, know districts inside and out. 
um, I knew the districts, and you know, I started in house races in '05, and then but like El Paso is like a 11. blue area, right? El Paso is a blue of part it, of Texas. It can yeah. it can be split in different areas, but yeah, I mean, it. It's I mean, that's known where Beto more... is from, and he was a congressman uh, from, you know, El Paso, Texas. Yeah, they had spliced off part of that uh, that district as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just as we. <laughs> I, I would say that it's just it's just the you know they gerrymander the hell out of that uh, the state you know for the Republicans' advantage and it's just it's a travesty because it should be a lot more blue than it is than it's reflected in in you know the federal system but I, I would just say that it's uh you know it's just it's that's uh what that's mainstay that's that's what it is that's the norm now in uh, Republican politics is they cheat to try and win and they still can't win sometimes so. You know, sad is pathetic losers. Anyways, I'm not going to go on a rant. Carol, thank you. Uh, yeah, but we about... we do we do want your call in, Susan. I saw that you were trying to call in there. We'd love to bring you up there to uh, either give a comment or ask a question. Anybody else wants to call in? This is your your big big chance. Nick, where can people support Demcast and follow Demcast online? And where can they get involved if they want to get involved in digital advocacy for the 2022 election? Yeah, if you if thanks for asking that. If 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 folks want to um, be a part of the chorus that's uh, that's putting out you know strong messaging uh, uh, in digital spaces, go to demcast.com. Uh, right at the top, there's a join button, and uh, give us your info, and we'll get we'll get you plugged in on whatever platform you're engaged on. Um, we're we're active on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, so yeah, give us, give us your info. We'll get you plugged in. Oh, on TikTok too. Oh yeah. He's joined the TikTok universe. I am closing in on 10,000 followers well, on the TikToks. The, the cool thing about Demcast is, um, we have a lot of Demcasters, but that you don't necessarily know that they're Demcasters, right? Because uh-huh. what, what, we, what we try and do is we try and arm people with messaging and information and then have them use their personal social media accounts to spread that information. So, yeah. So they're so, like self-actuating. Yeah. So I, I am I am on TikTok, but but with, you know, with Occupy, it's about what Occupy Democrats, you know, posts. You know, that's that's kind of the, the, the it's a top down uh messaging model ours is just kind of more of a bottom-up messaging model it's very cool susan thank you for joining us tonight thank you for calling in you can go ahead and unmute you have a question or a comment if i knew how to unmute um, oh you do we can hear you we can, we can hear you okay, great um i just want to let anybody know the dem cast is great um please join it's given me a tool to use for my messaging. Um, I met some great people well, no, as well. Um, I just, I feel really strongly about the gun violence right now and the assault rifle ban. And I just... I know the economy is hurting people, but we have to focus. Do we want dead children in school or do we want, you know, what do we want here? That's, that's my only thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, it's a preventable, at this point, it's so preventable that these are just man-made deaths as far as I'm concerned. They're soft crazy. targets. Susan. Yes. Yeah, they yes. are. Yeah, there's, I mean, they're there's children. soft targets. And um, the uh, classes, the shooter in the building classes, they're upsetting to the kids, to the children. Um, but it's for their own protection. And where are we? <laughs> I don't understand. But I, I don't either, Susan. Anyway. I, I, I have I have a third grader and a sixth grader, and um, I'm terrified that they're not going to come home one day. And unfortunately, there's re- there's reason to believe it. 
know, I have, I have, I have multiple family members who work in hospitals. There was a hospital shooting in Tulsa today. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, like Grant said, it's just, it's so preventable. There's, there's out of the box solutions readily available. And as far as I'm concerned, every elected Republican uh, is pulling the trigger themselves. That's how I feel about it. Yes. They need to walk through the classroom after it's happened. That's how angry I am. That they need to Yeah, see I think the if blood. they saw it if they saw it, yeah. maybe they would finally stop adhering to their talking points like some sort of armor against reality and and just face up to the fact that these poor kids uh will never be protected from assault rifle weapons so long as we make them very easy to obtain and and that's what all the laws make uh, them you know easy to obtain right now yes. 100% and and, yeah. and thank and thank you Susan for your for your comments about Demcast it's been so great to have you in the community and and um <laughs> Susan <laughs> Susan's been uh involved in our our special project around Ukraine and fighting Russian disinformation and has been a really important member of our team. So, um, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being part of I'm that. learning. You are, you're great. <laughs> well, Nick, uh, Susan, thank both. Thank, thank you to both of you guys for joining us tonight. Um, Nick, can you tell our listeners, uh, where they can actually follow you on Twitter. And Susan, please, if you, I'm sure you have a Twitter account, please share so everybody can follow. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Susan, go ahead. Okay. I think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez>. Not funny. <laughs> uh, comments, God. get back to the page. Well, uh, Susan, where can we follow you on Twitter? Okay, um, you can follow me at Perry for Health. Here it is. Hold on. Yeah, Perry for Health, P-E-R-R-I, the number four, and then Health, H-E-A-L-T-H. I already follow Susan. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, oh, I've got to follow Susan. There we go. I got her right now. She tweeted Everybody about the show, too. Yeah, to go, go follow her right now. I just retweeted her tweet about uh you know, listening to the show as well. I just saw that. Yep. Su- Susan's a great follow. And, and I'm at, I'm at Nick Knudsen. Thank you, Scott. U.S. Nick Knudsen, U.S. K-N-U-D-S-E-N. <laughs> um, on, on all the platforms. I, I have the same thing on all the platforms. Well, again, guys, thank you so, so, so much for joining us tonight. Scott, you, you had something to say before we Thanks wrap Thanks for up. having us. And sorry, guys, uh, real quick before Scott does that, I, I, I got to run, but um, thank you so much for having me. No, thank you, thank Nick. You, no, we Nick. appreciate it. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. So um, as we wrap up, we, as we wrap up, uh, we wanted to go over, you know, just, uh, we, we, we had some words last week, and it got heavy again at the end there. Especially, I'll tell you what, you know, Susan's words right there—they were—they were so powerful. I it, did. Did Nick Nick's words just rip your heart out when he just told you about his kids and the fear he has? I mean, that is just devastating. And I'll, I'll just say, people should—and if you're a family member or you know me well, then maybe you don't want to listen to this part. But elected officials should be ripping through the fucking ceiling, through the walls, and doing everything in their fucking power to stop these shootings. They should be not sleeping. They shouldn't be doing anything else, not another damn thing, until they fix this. Because there has to be a way, because it does not happen anywhere else in the world. And I dropped the F-bomb. We're allowed to do that, because it's a podcast. But I'll tell you, I'm just sick and tired of this nonsense do something. It's your job or get the fuck out of our way. Grant is going to give something from the heart now instead of my rant. But uh, Grant, uh, thank you for letting me talk for that moment. Grant's going to close us out. 
Guys, it's been a fantastic show. I want to thank Dr. Eric Feigelding. Of course, Majid, Brooklyn Dad. Uh, we're going to bring him back next week, but I'd like to thank him for coming out. Uh, Rep Finkenauer, guys, you definitely have to follow her on Twitter. That race is going to be very hot. She's running to replace Chuck Grassley. And, of course, thank you so much to Peter Morley for dropping in, to Nick Knudsen, to all of our friends at Demcast, to Susan Perini. Let me tell you. What makes this show a lot of fun is that so many people can call in. We can all have a a discussion and we can laugh and sometimes cry together. But, you know, you guys make this show special. I want to thank everybody who's listening tonight and everybody who listened throughout the week. Please take a second to share the show. We're going to post the podcast in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Report Card. 